You're listening to Bedroom Beethoven's, where notable music makers break down stories accompanied by songs and melodies documenting growth through their 10,000-hour journey. And me? Well, my name is Cello, your host. This episode is brought to you by the music of singer-songwriter Macklin, a native of Virginia and a lover of all things creative. His music mixes 80s and 90s boom bap and hip-hop soul beats, along with a modern flair. His new album is titled Life and Love. It's available now on all streaming platforms. From smooth rhythms, dope lyrics, strong bass lines, buttery vocals, and nostalgic vibes, Life and Love is an album for listeners young and old alike. My listeners can purchase merch or physical copies, including a limited low edition autographed pink or yellow vinyl at his Bandcamp at backlin.bandcamp.com. That's M-A-C-K-L-Y-N dot bandcamp.com. Hey everybody, welcome to episode 128 of the podcast. My guest this week is... My name is Razi, I'm a singer and a songwriter, and I've collaborated with um, Kendrick Lamar and Pusha T and Alan Stone, Jacob Collier, Maroon 5 so many dream people i've i've had a lot of a lot of good luck <laughs> i'm used to beggars being bad together ain't sad forever with the means butterflies butterflies too used to red light speeding through my fast tell myself the crash is justified neo-soul artist Razi has announced her new Hymn for Tomorrow EP due out this week, and her smoky, full-bodied vocals spectacularly amplify each song as they move seamlessly from upbeat pop, funk, and R&B to low-key acoustic ballads. And we talk about her 10,000 hours from, well, I I might have beaten a dead horse in the interview, but she got signed to Adam Levine's label, and we talk about the ins and outs of being signed at such a young age and the ebbs and flows that come with that. But what really matters is how I catch up with her now, and all of her wisdom, beauty, preparation, and knowledge to approach her music with as much authenticity as can be expected from someone who has learned a lot, experienced a lot, and wants to stay true to that. But before we dive into the conversation, though, really quick, if this is your first time listening to the podcast, I want to let you know it's available wherever podcasts can be streamed, and it would help me a lot if you left a review or subscribe to the YouTube, or just listen to other episodes. The website is bedroombeethovens.com, and if you want to support the show, keep it ad-free. There is a Patreon set up at patreon.com slash bedroombeethovens, and for a few bucks, you get a few perks as a thank you. Early episodes is a big one. So as we come out from the other side of the pandemic, 
That's what it's looking like. I'm very happy to see tour dates back up, venues opening, and best of all, new music. Also, uh, I said Jewel was a one-hit wonder. Uh, I'm dumb. Her, de- her debut album sold 12 million copies, had a bunch of hits. Again, I'm dumb. And Rozzy is simply the best. I enjoyed our chat, and I hope you do too. Peace and blessings. Now, before we, we we went on air, we talked that we you know we both have podcasts, and I think our podcasts have similar themes. You know, I focus more on musicians, but you've had everyone on from like Jonathan Van Ness to Nile Rogers to Michelle Kwan. So it's yeah, uh, yeah, and you know it's crazy. I'll, I'll be honest with you. Like I'm building kind of the YouTube page for the podcast, and like Scott, your co-host. First off, we'll, yeah, we're going to talk all about your amazing success, but him as of <laughs> like the last year. They have his group has over four point four billion views. They also have two million followers on Instagram. Yeah, three point six million on Facebook. Nuts. You release an episode with Jonathan Van Ness who has five million followers. Yeah, and the YouTube video has like eighty views. Yeah, and I feel that. I know it's it's really crazy. I mean, it's just like so hard to. I think the world is just like as I'm sure you really know. It's just like filled with noise, so it's very hard to get heard. But I'm so I'm so lucky to work with Scott because he's just like. Other than being wildly successful, he's just such a good person. And, and if anybody who don't know doesn't know Scott Hoying from Pentatonix, like he's so talented, so funny, so smart, such a good friend. We just we just have such a good time. So it's do you do this all alone? Don't you miss having a friend to do it with? <laughs> I mean, I guess it worked out because I started it right, kind of you know pre pandemic. Yeah. But- it's disheartening when you know that as much work as you put into the podcast, it'll never be as popular as Logan Paul buying a rare Pokemon <laughs> card. And I've accepted that. So infuriating. <laughs> but prior to this interview, I did a little research and I fell down a rabbit hole. And because of you, I found my new favorite band, Bear Attack. Oh, my God. Wait, that is so crazy. I have to tell my friends. That's incredible. How did you find them from from going? That feels like such like another lifetime ago. That's amazing. Sadly, I, you know, I'm not seeing any new music from them. So, are they still active? No, actually, I think they, um, I think that they broke up like maybe a few years ago now. But they're all such talented musicians, old friends of mine from USC. I love that you found them. They are so good. That record they put out is amazing. Yeah, they, tell them to get back together. <laughs> right now. I will. <laughs> and uh, I feel like the pandemic was actually good to you. You know, you wrote Best Friends. Your your brother had a baby. You fell in love. You're releasing music like more consistently than yes. ever before. And I mean, who knew that being trapped in the house could make your career and family life improve? But I guess it's all how you look at it. <laughs> It's true. I feel very lucky. You know, like obviously the pandemic has been brutal for everybody in different ways, but I feel kind of like overwhelmed with, you know, I'm aware of of the luck that I've had with um, my specific experience. It's true. My brother had a baby. She's so cute. She's 10 months old. Her name is Penelope Penny and she loves music. And that's been like the first baby that I've ever known. <laughs> I've never really like known babies before. So uh that's been like probably the highlight of the whole experience for me. And uh, you revisited piano during quarantine, which is awesome yes. because when you were little, you said you had tiny hands and it was hard. So now I'm assuming your hands are normal <laughs> size or maybe even larger than normal, but let's say normal size. No, I would say they're still on the smaller side and uh, it is, it's a bummer sometimes with piano, but I, I did have like a really hard time as a kid. I never liked it. And then I really never liked it 
I could play it like I was capable, but I never enjoyed it until COVID because I was forced to play it so much. I finally got decent enough that I like it now, which that's another huge silver lining. Uh, the last thing I touched on was was you you kind of you fell in love. I got to talk about that because I, I saw the guy and I was like, I yeah. know that guy. Where do I know him from? And then I was like, <laughs> oh, hereditary. He decapitated his sister and then went home and tried to play yeah. it off. I know that guy. <laughs> <laughs> you know what's so funny? I didn't see that movie until like January. We've been together for like a year and a half more than that. And um, I had never seen it because I really don't like scary movies. Like I just don't like being that scared. I'm like, this is a miserable experience. So I hadn't seen it. And there just came a point where it was awkward because people would say that to me all the time. And I'd be like, oh, I haven't seen it. And they're like, that's fucked up. That's your boyfriend. <laughs> well, what's crazy is when people say, I, I don't like scary movies, I rarely find movies that are actually scary. And I would have to put Hereditary on the short list of films that are actually truly scary. So It's true. It's yeah. true. It's so scary. But I think one thing that's like I actually love the movie and I was surprised at how much I loved it. Like I wasn't surprised because that it was amazing because I'd obviously heard that it was amazing. And I wasn't surprised that Alex was my um, Alex Wolf, my boyfriend, was amazing because I know he's amazing. But I was surprised that I enjoyed it so much. And I think it was just it was terrifying, but it was like very artful and thoughtful in its scariness. Like it didn't feel cheap in its scariness to me. It felt like there was a purpose to the horrifying qualities of it you know so it didn't really bother me the way that i that some scary like the ring has haunted me since i was a kid because i look like her when i go in a pool my hair is dark <laughs> i look like her and it's so scary um but but this one didn't this one i actually think about all the time and it's just like so so beautifully done that i love it well here's the real test you have you have alex anyone from the german soccer team or heath ledger you have your pick and if alex wins then what you guys have is real Oh my God, I choose Alex. I have to say, <laughs> that's a good question. You're right. I get it. That's, I mean, ever since I was a kid, I feel like I've never been that into sports, but I would love to watch soccer just because the boys are so cute. But um, Alex wins. So there you go. <laughs> there you go. Now, I, of course, I, I want you to stay in love. I want you to have the best romance ever recorded in human history. But. <laughs> But do not discount heartbreak for a singer because the reason why the reason why Lauren Hill's lyrics and singing was so effective yep. was because behind the scenes her heart was broken and if yep. everything was roses it might not have been the classic it's regarded as It's true. It's true. I mean my last album absolutely um I used heartbreak to to fuel it and you're right um it is kind of like the source of of art I don't want to love you but I do one more night we can undo You're losing me or am I losing you? I'm so over this What I will say in my experience so far writing about Alex, it's not just because you're in love and happy doesn't mean there's not complication, there's not challenge, there's not like nuance. I'm not that stressed about that. I think that will always be something for me to write about. Let's just agree right now we're not gonna break up. Cause I can't speak if I think you're gonna walk away. There's nobody else out there that's gonna come save us. Could you just shut up and hear what I'm trying to say? I feel like I always loved X Factor. Like the Lauren Hill song was my favorite song always. My like number one favorite song of all time. Always loved it. But when I got my heart broken for real, I was like, 
oh, like <laughs> that's what she means. It hit me on a whole other level. And um, I see how useful that like heartbreak experience was for her. And then for me as an artist, it is, it is like a very powerful tool. And, and it's hard because like when you're 19 years old, you know, you haven't experienced life, heartbreak, love. And they, they tell yeah. you, you know, go be an artist now. That's exactly. You know? And you can believe in yourself, but you may lack confidence. And, you know, everyone at 30 years old is going to look back at themselves at 19 and be like, you know, I was a baby. We're expected. Like, it's, you know, we value youth so much as a, a culture, but particularly in like the entertainment industry. And I think it's kind of silly. I, I mean, I get it, obviously. Like there's like Olivia Rodrigo. I love that album. There's a certain vibe that you cannot capture after a certain age. I totally get that. But I am such a better artist now than I was at 19 because I know I, I, I'm a richer person. I have so much more empathy. I have so many more experiences under my belt. I have so much more to say. Um, I think I'm just like a more interesting person and therefore I'm a more interesting artist. And so I actually think we do ourselves a disservice by not really valuing the artists who have been hustling and working for a long time and and where things didn't happen too quickly because that's like the good stuff like that's like where i think we really get the most expression of the human experience you know after people have had like some experience you know because i didn't know who i was at 19 i had no idea who i was i thought i did but i was wrong so so from usc to getting signed is that still in your opinion a golden ticket it's almost like getting drafted to the nba out of high school or do you think you should have waited until you were like more seasoned and mature? Listen, I would never, I wouldn't change anything because the experience that fell into my lap was just like too unbelievable. It was a once in a lifetime magical moment that maybe something similar would have happened later. I really don't know. Like that's, I, I don't know, but it was hard to, it's hard to imagine rejecting that uh, Adam Levine sending you an email when you're a teenager and being like, I'll invent a label to sign if you'll be on it is just kind of hard. I wouldn't tell anybody to turn that down. <laughs> it was a little bit too unbelievable. But because of that decision, you left before graduating and you were really close. So how how angry was your professor father? He actually was very supportive. He, he is a professor. I love this research you've done. Amazing. Um, he is a professor, but uh, they, I knew what I wanted to be since I was six years old and I was so adamant about it. And he had spent enough time trying to convince me to do something regular that he knew there was no convincing me. And so when, when I was finally given this opportunity to do what I've always dreamed and do it in a really legitimate real way, I think he was very excited for me and understood that it was worth it and that the education I'd be getting on the road was probably better than like the music degree I was getting anyway. <laughs> I, should, I should point out your father is not just like a middle school science teacher. He's a policy professor. They, they, he's in the top yes. 10% of professors. Yes. So it, it's, it's kind of a big deal in academia. Yeah. And, yeah. Wow. Thank you for saying that. It's true. He's, he's a professor at Stanford. So he's very smart. It's very intimidating. So when, when you have kids and your kid is a mini version of you and they say they <laughs> want to pursue music, will you share the same sentiments of your dad and kind of, you know, deter them to have something more secure or, Hey, let's get on that rocket ship. If you dream it, I'll help you achieve it. Let's do it. I will say selfishly, and not even selfishly, like I do, it would be nice to have a kid who didn't want to be an artist because it's so heartbreaking. And I think it, it's probably harder to watch your kid do it than do it yourself. Because for me, this is who I am. There, There is no 
other version of me. This is this is me. And so no matter the ups and downs, the letdowns, the disappointments, as hard as that is, it's okay because at the end of the day, I'm being myself. I'm doing what I was, you know, made to do and I get to sing. I get to do that thing that I love so much. I think it's harder for my dad to watch that, frankly. So as a parent, I understand. I would kind of hope my kid wanted to be like a doctor or something and they just go, you know, that's really hard too (laughs) and incredibly worthwhile. And I'm sure very like, you know, I'm sure there's you get a lot back from it, but it's not as tricky in a way as like trying to be an entertainer. It's just so impossible to navigate that. But if somebody, if my kid really wanted to do it, I think I would recognize it and I would know that it didn't matter what I said. So I would just make sure that they knew how to work hard and they knew that they had to take full responsibility for themselves in that way. And I'd also encourage them to really be creative. If you're going to be an artist, be an artist every day. Yeah. Cause I, I was kind of looking at, I, I guess some of the beginning politics when you, when you first got signed, like your strength you even introduced yourself at the beginning of this podcast as a singer songwriter and you land on the hunger game soundtrack. And I saw that the writing credit wasn't you. It was, it was Glenn James Hansard. So if imagine if you want a Grammy for that song, you wouldn't even have got a Grammy for what you're, got signed to do. It would have been kind of bittersweet. I wasn't treated like a writer for a really long time. And, and, and I, to be fair, I don't think I treated myself like the writer that I am. It took me a long time to really trust myself. I don't know if that's just being young, if that's being a woman, I don't know, but it's it took me a long time to convince other people and myself that I really knew what I was doing as a writer and as the creator of my music. Um so that was really hard when I was signed to Adam. They wanted me to sing all sorts of stuff that I didn't write that I sometimes didn't even like. It's kind of an age-old story, you know. You get signed and then they try and kind of morph you into something that you're not. And it took me a very long time to be able to say, not only to say, this is not, I'm not this, but also to say, this is who I am. Because you kind of need to be able to follow it up with that. If you're going to say no to something, you need to be able to say what it is instead. Um, and it took me a long time to get there. Do you, do you, is, that, is that a new artist thing or is that a woman thing? Because sometimes women get stunted because they're working with people who want to direct their creative path rather than share and help develop the yeah. artist's vision. And I, I wonder how many don't get a chance at success as a result. I think it's probably both. I can take responsibility for being new, you know, which is not my fault. You're being new is required for everybody at some point. Um, but I definitely was green and I didn't, I didn't, like I said, you know, my, my dad's a professor. Nobody in my family was a professional artist ever. You know, I was the first one to do that. So I think it was kind of – I didn't even have a lot of – like like Alex, my boyfriend, his parents are both artists. And I think um, in a lot of ways, that's kind of an amazing advantage. You get to kind of learn how this works. I didn't have that. So to be fair to the men who signed to me and I was working with, I didn't come in with a lot of information on my own. But I do think there is just there's no way to deny that being a young girl in a room is there's a certain dynamic that exists in society that's very hard to escape from. This my manager was a grown man much more successful than me and technically he's supposed to work for me, but it's very hard to maintain that dynamic when you're this like teenage girl walking in the room. Um it's very hard to not to, for them to take you seriously that way. And it took me a long time to develop the kind of authority and confidence to really demand that because it's really easy to give that away because it's it's kind of natural, I think, for someone, for an older man to claim it when you're a young girl. 
I just I love the the journey and uh, on how you found yourself, uh, especially when you point stuff out like that. And literally in a couple months, yeah. my daughter is entering the first grade, and that that's significant. <laughs> Because that's the grade you knew you wanted to be a performer, which kind of gives me hope that my astronaut, cowboy, artist, unicorn, policeman daughter might figure out what she wants to be <laughs> as it did you. So uh, I'm, I'm hopeful. That's so cute. What's her so name? Her, it's funny. It's really, really funny because uh, me and my wife this morning were talking about baby names. And she actually said yeah. uh, if we had another baby, she was considering Penelope and even said we would call her <gasps> Penny. Uh, but her – Oh my god, that's that's so amazing! It's very crazy, but we ended up naming her Ophelia. We we do gravitate towards those oldie time names. Yeah. Wow, first grade is a very. I mean, I remember first grade so well. I think it's when I learned how to read, which is huge. And um, I did. That is the first time I performed for an audience, and that's when I knew I wanted to be a singer. And um, so you, you don't know your girl. Maybe this year she'll come. She'll she'll tell you it's for sure. NASA. She's going to be an astronaut. That's what she's landed on. <laughs> well, t- tell me about the song I'm Sensitive by Jewel and why that's so Oh, my important. God. Your research is amazing. You are better at researching than I am for my podcast. I'm very impressed. <laughs> I was thinking that I might fly today. Okay, yeah. Jewel has the song called I'm Sensitive. It's a deep cut. It's... Um, from her first album and I was a huge Jewel fan as a kid I saw my second cousin sing the same song I copied her she basically my second cousin is this beautiful girl her name's Felicia she's older than me when I was five she was just like the coolest person I'd ever met in my life she's still very cool and I really look up to her and I, I heard her sing that summer on like a family reunion and I decided to copy her and sing the exact same song at my school talent show and I will never forget the feeling it's like the most clarity I've ever had I've never felt that sure of anything ever again um I sat down on the bleachers and I was like oh that's what I'm gonna do for the rest of my life no doubt and I've never questioned it since Jewel is underrated. Jewel is really underrated. She, I mean, I know she's massively successful, so she's she's definitely, you know, people know about her, but her voice is incredible. She was the only, so she followed me on Instagram la- a couple years ago, which was like the biggest full circle dream come true moment for me because she was like my hero. And so she, she was the only live stream show during COVID that I bought a ticket to and watched online and she kills it she's so good and she's funny i love her i'm a huge fan still it's crazy i always thought she was a one-hit wonder for the save your soul song but it seems like i'm dead wrong on that you're wrong she's got like she's a really amazing singer songwriter you you would recognize um some of her other songs too I need she's to revisit. Than everyone yeah, I need yeah, to yeah. revisit her, her discography. She's really good. She can yodel. It's crazy. Her story's <laughs> crazy too. She was like full homeless living in her car and then, you know, became Jewel. So she's got a really cool story too. I think she's beautiful and she never fixed her teeth, yeah. which I love even more. Love. Yeah, love me it. too. Me too. Uh, well, I know a lot of songs on the on the new album are intentional, maybe personal, and a body of work that you're proud of. But why not stay attached to Adam Levine so you could continue to get the Kendrick Lamars and the Pusha T's. Like if you want mainstream success and radio play and all that, I imagine that's the fastest track to make that happen. So I wanted to ask in 2016, what what brought upon that decision to part ways? Or even maybe it wasn't even up to you. It wasn't up to me. They dropped me. But to be fair, it was the right thing for me. I think, yes, there was a fast track element to it that was very fairy tale like um, and opened a lot of doors for me. 
And to be totally honest with you, sometimes that aspect of it haunts me a little bit because I am aware of how much easier it is to get stuff when you have a name like that than it is without it. And I've really learned that the hard way. So yes. So, But even if they hadn't dropped me, the problem is running a label is a really challenging thing to do. It's a full job. It's It requires a certain mind and talent, and it also requires a certain amount of time um, that I'm not really sure they were really able to give me um, then. And also, I, I am an, I, I was signed as a singer, you know? I think Adam heard my voice and really gravitated towards it, which I will forever feel honored by and flattered by. But there was like a real artist in me um, that needed development and I hadn't received that and I really, really needed it. I really needed somebody. Like I said, I didn't have artist parents. I didn't really grow up around people who made art as a living um, and I didn't really know how to bring that out of me and I really needed a different mentor and a different person to work with. And so this manager that I worked with for a long time, his name is Ben Singer, is really good at that, really good at helping bring the songwriter out of me and the artist out of me. And I will forever be grateful to that. I mean, these people are all seasons. That's the thing about anything in life. That's the thing. It's like kind of like dating. You know, these people sometimes are seasons. And just because they are not forever doesn't mean they weren't beautiful and very necessary on my journey. And I, I And at the end of the day, it's kind of like, Yes, those collaborations were dream collaborations and those tours were dream tours, but they're kind of like sugar highs because I didn't really earn them is how I feel. I, I, I deserve to be there in a way that I, I could sing in a, in a way that, des- that you know, I felt comfortable in those settings, but I hadn't become the artist that I am now. And that's like a meal, you know, like that's like a filling meal. And I would rather feel proud of my work and feel like the driver of my ship than I would to be able to tell somebody that I worked with Kendrick Lamar any day. I would choose being the artist I'm proud of any day a thousand times over. It's so much more valuable and it is so much – I don't want to be famous. I want to be an artist. You know, <laughs> That's what my driving force is. So at the end of the day, it was a very necessary shift in my career. When you get dropped from a label, it just boils down to album sales and how much money you generate for the label. You don't have to – but you were a little bit disappointed, maybe even a little bit heartbroken. But if you never got dropped and you stayed on that label, I'm sure you wouldn't have been hunting for reasons why you weren't good enough or blaming yourself for what happened or finally finding your artistry. I mean, why question your artistry at all when it, at the end of the day it's just a business decision? That's that's a really good point. You know, I think that's why I feel like it's a blessing because – I could have totally just stayed in that universe and continued to sing the shit out of stuff that didn't feel right. And that's a lonely place to be. I can only imagine who I would have turned into. It actually kind of scares me to think of who I would have turned into if that had worked out, frankly. I can't imagine not having these songs that I have and this artistry that I have now because you're right. They're thinking about it from from the perspective of money and that was never – what got me into the music industry, <laughs> you know, that has nothing to do. With, I mean, of course I want to be successful and make money, but that's not what uh, pulled me in here in the first place. And I, I actually believe that financial success is more likely when you're really doing something that you are, you really can get behind, you know, and I can really get behind my music now in a, in a different way. And I, I just really believe in it more even than I believe in the narrative of like Adam Levine's first artist. I believe in my music more than I believe in that. Yeah. I think an example that comes to mind is Katy Perry. Cause I, I remember her debut album was under her real name. She was, uh, yeah. she was active in the church. Mm. 
And uh, she got dropped from her label. Right. Her album flopped. And then she hooked up with Dr. Luke, changed her name, and released a song called I Kissed a Girl. And now she's worth, you know, $300 million. But that's not the route you want to go. Like, I'm, I'm not saying Katy Perry is probably lonely. Maybe that's the artist that she wants to be, but that's just not the route that you wanted to go. Yeah. It's like, right. like would Best exactly. Friend or uh, would the Best Friend song be any better or worse of a song if, if Toddy didn't exist? I, I don't know, but you but you want to go the authentic route. Yeah, there's no way I could have written that song without my best friend being a real best friend. I mean, I write about my life, so I need it to be real. Ooh, I'd love to hear a song about Tony, the mysterious 14-year-old Italian guitarist who loved you and you crushed his heart in seventh grade and dumped him. Wait, oh my God. Tony, how did you find out about Tony? Where did you find that information? <laughs> Wait. Is that his name? Oh, my God. You just sent me into a wild flashback from this camp I went to when I was in middle school. Yeah, I remember he said, is it fruity if I ask to put my arm around you? It's not a, I, that sentence is ingrained in my mind. I think that's like probably not an okay sentence, honestly. Oh, no, no, no. I, got, I got Tony's back. He was nervous. He, had a yeah. he was in love with you. So he's going to say <laughs> dumb things. Tony, I got you. I got your back. But it's, it's, it's funny, though, because uh, – I think you touched on this because Adam Levine created the label in part. If you, I, I think I read this correctly, which is a pretty big honor. He was only going to create the label if you signed to it. And he's a lot of things, you know, but a veteran yeah. label owner and accomplished businessman, not so much. So do you ever think that, well, maybe he mismanaged you, maybe he mishandled you or he dropped the ball, or maybe you, sh- you shouldn't have looked at yourself like you were to blame. And it's not like there's, there's any current megastars signed to that label right now. I mean, I think his label's kind of dormant. I, I think there's a lot of ways that that could have gone better on for everybody. I really needed real development. I wasn't yet the artist that I think he really knew that I could be. And I always, you know, appreciate him seeing that in me because, you know, a lot of people didn't see that in me. I knew what I wanted to be since I was six years old. And most people were like, mm, you probably won't be that. <laughs> and Adam was like, yeah, I think you will. And I will um, I'll always appreciate that. But but I, I needed a certain amount of real development, which is really like helping bring like, – I think people think sometimes that an artist is just – they're just born that way. And you're born with something. And some people, you know, seem to find it a lot faster. I think Billie Eilish blows my mind. I mean, clearly talk about somebody who was raised by artists and clearly was like – the creativity was really fostered in her home. So I think maybe that helps bring it out so young. But that's an anomaly. I think there's a – there's a false idea that an artist just is an artist and they just come out with this genius just flying out of their mouth. I mean, yes, there is there are geniuses, but a, but art like anything needs to be cultivated and developed and taken care of and it's a muscle. And I write better songs when I'm writing songs all the time. I sing better when I'm singing all the time. Like it's it is a muscle and you do need to work at it. And I think I wasn't really ready yet for that opportunity, at least not for what um, Adam was able to give me at that time in his career. So the, the songs that you couldn't have written on Adam's label and the songs that reflect you more as a person, uh, you're, you're making it seem like uh, it came naturally. But when it comes time to share that music, were you, were you scared because now you're a little bit vulnerable that you're sharing this, these authentic songs with the public? Yes, very much. All I mean, when I write songs, I try to pretend as if no one will ever hear them. Um, because I write very personal songs and I say things I would never say in my <laughs> life. But by the time they come out, sometimes I get very anxious about it because I feel very exposed. But the truth is all my heroes do that. I mean, Stevie Nicks was writing songs about like her Lindsey Buckingham and he was playing guitar. I can't even imagine what it was like to play the song she wrote about him for him, you know, in front of him before the world. I just think 
if she could do that, then I can release these songs about my, you know, mystery ex-boyfriend that nobody even knows who it is. It's fine. I can, I can handle it. I want to communicate again. I'm normally a hip hop guy. I don't, I wouldn't say I, I do listen to some Neo soul. I listen to some R and B. Uh, I was literally blown away and I had to have you on here, but I don't want it to come from me. I wanted to give you the floor to tell people about him of tomorrow, him for tomorrow, what people should know about it. You have the floor. Him for Tomorrow is basically part one of my full-length album. So we're releasing it in pieces. And this is the first seven songs that I'm sharing. So the best way I can describe it is that it's like a very personal, very soulful, very raw look at like my last few years. It kind of feels like strangely my first it feels like my introduction to the world like like we've heard on this podcast i've had a long journey you know i was a background singer even before i was signed and then i i've i've had a lot of ups and downs and yet somehow i i feel very much like i just began and that all of that stuff was kind of like the process to like almost like have me arrive and i feel like I, this record is me kind of arriving and um it kind of feels like a bit of a coming of age like it's just kind of me really finally saying this is who I am. And through that is a lot of heartbreak. You'll hear a lot of moody songs on there. I've dated some losers and I talked about it. And it all kind of culminates in a certain hymn for tomorrow, which is one of the last songs on the record. And it's like kind of through all this struggle, all this pain, all these ups and downs, really trying to convince myself that my better days are ahead and that all of our better days are ahead and that all this, like, you know, the pain that we go through and as, as humans makes us better and makes us more interesting and makes us stronger and makes us funnier and makes us better friends and makes us better partners and all of that. And that um, the future will be better because of that struggle. Don't know how it happened, but I guess the summer's over. Yeah, it's 80 in LA, but you feel a little colder. Try to be a real cool girl and laugh it off like nothing hurts. But I already miss you when my head is on your shoulder. I love it. And not to take the spotlight away from this new album, but uh, Bear Attack, I hope you uh, you get back together. <laughs> and I hope there's a hot Sizzling Sisters reunion on the horizon, too. Oh, my God. You and this research. <laughs> I can't handle it. <laughs> All right. I, I'm done giving you a hard time. Uh, Rosie. it was an absolute <laughs> pleasure having you here. And uh, thank you for being here. Thank you so much for having me. That was really fun. <laughs>